Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Hey, if you um, get a chance, please thank anybody on the parking team. It's so cold. So we are uh, super grateful for you guys. Uh, If you got your Bible, Colossians chapter one, Colossians chapter one. If you have your discipleship plan that you might have brought in with you, because we have a spot for sermon notes on there, you're going to be in part two or week two of that discipleship plan. Last week, to catch you up, if you're newer with Mercy, last week we just looked at who Jesus is. Our writer, the Apostle Paul, painted this, I mean, majestic view of who Jesus is. He is God. He is the resurrected King, the resurrected Savior, the reconciler, Redeemer. It, I mean, it was awesome. That chapter, that passage there, uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 20 specifically, right? I think back on, um, I, I grew up in a little Baptist church, and there was this hymn we used to sing, Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, and my song will ever be, oh, how marvelous. Marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And I think that evokes some of what Paul was trying to get at, how marvelous Jesus is. And the the whole goal being for us to lift the eyes of our hearts up and we were to see Jesus just a little more for who he was last week. Well, we're going to pick up right where we left off in chapter one. And here's the connection to last week. If last week is, man, this is who Jesus is, and Paul's like, look, just a little more, see him for who he really is. This week, what he's going to say is, that Jesus, the one who's before all things, the one who's come to have first place in everything, that Jesus is worthy of sacrificing everything for him. That's this week. That Jesus who is king, who is God, who is redeemer, reconciler, he is worth everything. And that's our main point for today, that Jesus is worth it, all right? And what's really great is this sacrificial life that the Apostle Paul is going to call us to in this passage, it's not a life of sad obligation. He says here in this sacrificial life is where he finds joy and where you can find joy. After all, Paul um, is writing this letter from a first century prison cell. All right, he is anything but comfortable. He's been persecuted and now imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And yet you read the letter, it is brimming with what? With joy. In fact, the Apostle Paul is on record, Acts 16, on record as sitting around singing in prison. Like he's in prison for preaching the gospel and he's not downcast. No, he is singing, rejoicing. He's inviting others to get in on it, singing in his prison cell, rejoicing. Why? Because the Christian life is most satisfying when it's marked by joyful sacrifice. He's sacrificing everything so that more people can know Jesus. And somehow the act of sacrifice increases his joy. That's what we are after today, Mercy Church. I want this for us. I want you to have the joy of the Christian life. I feel like 
I don't know, been around church long enough to kind of see a couple of different ways that the Christian life is presented. Usually the one or two ways, either it's some version of like, don't worry, be happy version of Christianity, like the pep rally Jesus version of Christianity, where God wants you to live your best life now and sin and sacrifice aren't really brought up at all. And if life isn't working out, that must be your problem. Like you must not be believing enough. So turn that frown upside down, right? And church becomes the the pep rally to believe a little more. Or on the other end of the spectrum, we're presented with like a sackcloth and ashes Christianity where sorrow, sacrifice, and scowling are signs of maturity in the Christian faith. No pain, no gain Christianity. The problem with both of them is they don't give you a full picture of the Christian life. The, The don't worry, be happy, pep rally Jesus, that just doesn't square with reality, Life just isn't always sunshine and rainbows, and it seems rather disingenuous to say that if you're suffering, God is unhappy with you or you're not being a good Christian. After all, 40% of the Psalms are laments, and by the way, the crucifixion of Jesus doesn't seem like a best life now kind of moment. And yet on the other hand, the frowning faithful seem to practice obedience to Jesus apart from joy in Jesus. And, and over time, wind up being self-righteous and skeptical of anything that seems a little joyful, missing the joy of Christ. Listen, joy without sacrifice leads to an empty emotional experience, and it won't last. I promise you, eventually, the pep rally vibe will collide with real life, and you might be left even wondering if God is real at all. But then, on the other hand, sacrifice without joy will eventually lead to self-righteous entitlement. You'll continue down the road thinking God owes you for your service, and you'll start to look at others like they are less than you because they don't serve as much as you do. But today what we're going to see is God actually offers us deep, soul-satisfying joy as we follow the sacrificial footsteps of Jesus. I want this so much for us because I think a church that grabs this will change the world because it'll look very different than the world sacrificing for Jesus, but at the same time will be attractive to the world because it has the unshakable joy that the world is after. And here's the connection to our discipleship plan for those of you following along. This passage you're going to see today has two parts to it. The first, we're going to talk about the sacrificial life. And then secondly, we're going to talk about the church, how the church, the body of Jesus helps one another live the sacrificial life. Now, I'm going to spend most of our time talking about the sacrificial life, and then in your discipleship plan and in community group, you're going to talk about community, how you build the kind of context and and familial life where you can learn to walk in the sacrificial life, all right? Now, that said, we're going to keep it, like I said, we had um, only have one point for you today. It's the title of the sermon, main point of the sermon, and that's just that Jesus is worth it. Okay, the reason why is I gave you 11 sermon points last week, so I thought I kind of balanced things out by just going one clear one this week. Okay, Jesus is worth it. And if you're newer to Mercy Church, here's all we're going to do we're going to walk through this passage of scripture. We're going to start in Colossians 1, verse 24. We're going to get down to, I think, chapter 2, verse 3. We might get to 5, but most likely we're going to stop at 3. And we're just going to see what God has for us. And that's what we do here week in, week out. Just walk through the text and see what God has for us. All right, so we start in verse 24. You guys ready? Let's do this. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Okay, stop right there. It's far enough. Let's get real. What? What would lead somebody to rejoice in suffering? Suffering is painful. I mean, Paul's in prison. And by the way, I I don't think he like loves prison. 
<laughs> it's like, oh, this is great. I'm deprived of all things, moldy bread and, and maybe some water on occasion. I love this. No, what makes his, this is important, what makes his suffering joyful is what he is suffering for. This has been a huge lesson in my life as a Christian. It's the lesson that has propelled my greatest steps of faith. Like, well, greatest, there's been like the big ones, you know what I mean? I'll never forget uh, my buddy Andrew Hopper. He's the pastor of Mercy Hill Church in Greensboro. Uh, he and I were on staff together at a church called the Summit Church. The pastor's there. And we're standing in a cabin at Camp Willow Run like 10, 12 years ago. And he says to me that he thinks God is calling him, to, he and his family, to leave to go plant a church. And it, it, what he said to me was, it's really hard because he and his wife, Anna, they loved it at the church. Of course, we did too. And then he said something that's kind of stuck with me. He said, somebody told him, he said, joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. And it was just a word to me. Now, I'm pretty sure he got it from our pastor who got it from somebody else who was paraphrasing Jesus, okay? Now, you look at Matthew 16, 25, whoever, this is Jesus to his disciples, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever, whoever wants to protect his life is eventually not going to be able to, going to lose it. But whoever will lose his life because of me will find it. Y'all, losing your life, sometimes we miss this in the church. That is, that's sacrifice. That's painful. It's giving up. But with Christ, you find a greater life than the one you gave up. That truth is so, this is why I'm pausing right here, right at the start of this section. It's so central to the Christian life. Joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. A better way to say it, you will only rejoice in your sacrifice when you love what you gain more than what you gave up. A best example of this, I feel like, is, is probably childbirth, right? Like you suffer through it joyfully. Why? Because of what it produces, like childbirth is not pleasant. I mean, I've seen four of them up close. This is the most disturbing miracle that God has given us on this planet, okay? It's, whew. But any mom will tell you that she'd go through it again joyfully because she loves what it produces. She loves her child more than all of the comfort she gave up in pregnancy and childbirth. Y'all, this is, that principle is true in the church. I mean, think about church planters, missionaries, families like the Warohios who went to plant Mercy Nairobi or the Andersons who are going to plant Kingdom City down in Atlanta. Many others who've been sent out around the globe. They did not go because they were trying to escape Mercy Church. At least that's what they told me, okay? So I, I hope that to be true. They're not like running away from you guys, okay? No, they are suffering, Right? They rejoice, though, because they love the kingdom of God more than the comforts of home. So the suffering is worth it because of what it produces. Paul's saying that's why he rejoices in his suffering, because he loves the gain of the Colossian church knowing Jesus more than a comfortable, non-imprisoned, don't-rock-the-boat life. In other words, you rejoice in sufferings for Christ when the gains of Jesus are worth more to you than the comforts of your life. So before we go any further, Mercy, is this how you feel about what you're seeing happen right here in your church? Are you rejoicing in the sacrifices that you have made 
because you're seeing how God is using those sacrifices to reach people in our community and across the world. Because I know some of y'all have sacrificed greatly, but is your heart rejoicing in that? Like, or only, are you only doing what you do out of religious duty? Like, if, if you don't feel joy at a record number of people coming through, of people getting baptized, of people being discipled, and of people being sent to the mission field, if you don't feel joy in that, it's time to go back and sit with your first love, with Christ. Now, others of you, you may enjoy it. You may enjoy the sacrifice of others and what that has brought for you as you're here at our church, but have you sacrificed anything or are you just here for the pep rally? I'll give you some low-hanging fruit, very specific to our 930 service right here at Providence Road and at Mercy Northeast. To make room for our friends and neighbors to come hear the gospel with you, we need some of you guys to move to another service time. But to do so would inconvenience you. Will you rejoice in that? Because it creates another chance for more people to hear the gospel. And that's just one step. Think about some other ones in your life. What about sacrificing, this one to me is a big one, um, and truthfully one that I have a tough time with. What about sacrificing your social comfort to share the gospel with someone in your community? Like, it's awkward. That's what I've heard evangelism described as, is two people having an awkward conversation together. It just often is. Are you willing to sacrifice that social comfort so that that person can hear about Jesus? Are you willing even to befriend someone outside your circle? That means time, sacrificing time and, and the awkward reality of meeting new people. Are you ready to sacrifice the comforts of life that you love because you love and value people meeting Jesus more than your comfort? That's the mentality of the church that thrives. Churches that thrive expect personal sacrifice, not personal comfort. And the result is people coming to know Jesus. And as I say that, I want you to know, I see that all over our church. And I'm asking the Lord to just do more of what he's already begun to do. I think of our middle and high school students. They're down at the Charlotte Dream Center every month. That's a sacrifice, or one Saturday every month. That's a sacrifice. They could be doing other things with that time. Instead, they sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus is greater than their comforts. He's worth it. And as a result, people are coming to know Jesus there. I think of Mike Flynn. I love this guy, man. Sacrificing week after week leading our proven men's ministry to help men break free from porn addictions. That is a sacrifice to lead that. It is time exhausting. It is emotionally exhausting to lead that. Mike is old enough that he could be watching Wheel of Fortune each night with his awesome wife, Sandy, and like taking cooking classes or something, okay? I don't know. But he's not doing that. What's he doing? He's sacrificing all of that to tackle a difficult, dark subject. And as a result, people are being set free from addictions and family trajectories are being forever changed. Why is he doing that? Because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. That's what I'm, I think the apostle Paul is saying, that's why he's doing this. And that's what I want for us, y'all, to expect personal sacrifice not personal comfort, and to find great joy as we see God working in others through it. Here we go, verse 24. He keeps going. He says, well, let's finish at verse 24. We only got the first phrase, but we'll keep going. And I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. What? If you just hang on a second, like actually focus there. Don't let that just kind of let your eyes glaze over it. 
That's a pretty wild statement. Is Paul saying that Christ's Jesus, his afflictions lack something, that somehow the death of Christ on the cross was insufficient for the needs of the church? That would be problematic on multiple levels. Not the least of which would be that time where Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. So let's get clear on what he's not saying and saying. He's not saying that Jesus' afflictions are incomplete for salvation. In fact, the Apostle Paul is completely convinced that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient payment for the sins of all who believe. And that his resurrection was sufficient to give new life to all who believe. Nothing needs to be added to Jesus' work of salvation. What he seems to be saying is that what is lacking is the suffering that will happen when the gospel is proclaimed throughout the world. All right, Jesus proclaimed the gospel and he suffered. He told his disciples, anyone that would follow him, they would suffer. And it is through their sufferings, through our sacrifices and sufferings, that we fill up the world with the good news of Jesus. For the gospel to go forward, we, like Jesus, must suffer. Here's the shorthand way to say what he's saying. Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. The church suffers to spread salvation. You think about your own life for a second. If you're a Christian, you did not suffer to receive salvation. Christ suffered first and foremost to accomplish salvation for you. And then someone, maybe a church, maybe an individual, someone suffered, someone sacrificed, someone built a friendship with you, someone brought you into church where you heard the gospel or they shared the gospel, someone sacrificed something to spread the gospel of salvation to you. Now listen, I hope your experience here at Mercy is that you hear the gospel of grace preached over and over. And if you're not a Christian or you're brand new to our church, look, I need to say something to the Mercy family. I'm not really talking to you. But some of you in the Mercy family have been coming to this church for a long time. And if you're honest, you've been a consumer. You've never really taken a step to sacrifice your time that God gives you, your talent God gives you, or your money God gives you to see the gospel go forward through the church. Look, I'm not trying to shame you. That's never my goal. My question as this is brought up in this text is, do you feel like your faith is a sacrifice? Is your life marked by any kind of sacrifice? Because you may be missing out on joy as you try to follow Jesus without sacrifice. You're never going to get judgment here. I just want to say it's time to take a next step. Y'all, we follow a man who was beaten. Nails were driven through his hands. He was murdered on a cross. And he says, follow me. What do we think we're signing up for? So here's my question. Just what's your next step? What's your next step? You may not move to another country, but there's a next step. Maybe it's sharing the gospel with your friend. Maybe it's leaving your current community group to start a new community group. I don't know. Maybe it's giving your money. Does God need it? No. But he's decided the sacrifice of the church will be the way the gospel is spread. So when things are healthy, the more we give, the more the gospel is spread. Giving becomes the fuel for mission. Or I think about like King David. You want a great case study on this. King David, 1 Chronicles 21. There's this plague going on because King David had been disobedient to God. And God brought a plague onto Israel. 
right? Well, then David says, okay, I'm gonna go make a ceremonial sacrifice to God. I'm gonna ask him to lift this plague. This is his way of repenting. So David goes to the sacrifice spot and tells the guy who owns some animals right there. He says, hey, I need you to sell me these animals at full price. That's very important to me. And the guy says, no, 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 no. There's an emergency. All these people are dying of the plague and you're the king. Emergency, authority. Look, I'll just give you the animals. And David says, no way. I'm not going to take for the Lord what belongs to you. And more importantly, I'm not going to offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. For David, listen to me. The idea of approaching God without offering some kind of sacrifice, something that cost him, it would have been irreverent, unworthy. How do we approach worship? Do we receive Jesus? Listen, there's the great news. We receive Christ and it cost us nothing. He paid the price in full. But in response, what do we offer back? Not in a quid pro quo, but in a response of worship because he is worthy. Verse 25, he keeps going. He says, I have become, this is Paul saying, I've become it, the church's servant, according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. God gave him a job to make the word of God, the gospel, the Bible, fully known. That's Paul's job given to him by God. But look, very important, look at that little phrase, for you. God gave Paul an assignment to preach, but not just anybody, for the building up of the church. And that's what God's assignments are always for. Listen, God has given you an assignment as well. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, every single Christian has the Holy Spirit and a commission from God. Not everything from heaven has your name on it, but something does. And the best way to figure it out is to get into community. You're always going to hear me talk about getting into community. So while that discipleship plan is going to talk about community this week, you get into community and you start sacrificing your life so that others can know about Jesus. And we'll figure out what that assignment is. Verse 26. He says, the mystery, oh, this is so good. This is what he's charged to preach. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the, I mean, this is like underline, highlight it, the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Since Genesis 3, God's been unfolding his plan of redemption. Now, I know, this is very exciting. Way back since Genesis 3, God's been unfolding his plan of redemption, and now it's fully revealed in Christ. But what's so cool is he says the glorious wealth of this mystery is Christ in you. Somehow, he in you, church, That's the hope of glory. That's the mystery. It's Christ in you. That means there should be something mysterious about Christians. Not like cultish or mystics or overly emo or something like that. But that our lives defy rational explanation. We are the people who have joy in our suffering. There's something that doesn't compute. There should be something that doesn't compute about us Christians because we don't live for the American dream. Like, these Christians seem to give away their time and money for others. They give away their status and power to serve others. Their agenda doesn't seem to be their own. I don't know what's going on. That is a mystery. I'll give you an example. We've got a young family right now in our church. 
Plenty successful by the world standards, very successful even by American standards. And they want to give it all up to go to, unreached, to an unreached people group and share the gospel. Like, going to have to go under fear of persecution, threat of death, and everything. What explanation can you give for such a life? Simple. Jesus is worth it. They're rejoicing in the suffering and the loss of the suffering, the loss of wealth and status, because the gain of an unreached people group knowing Christ is greater. That's the true riches. Verse 28. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Look at the goal. Look at how he gets there. His goal is that everybody in the church is mature in Christ. So my goal as your pastor, that you grow up into the image of Jesus, that you just take a step. This is why we've used this value. What's your next step? We help people take their next step in following Jesus. Because if you take enough, enough next steps, it'll start to be a walk. Each day, each week, years from now, you're going to be walking further and further with Jesus. You're going to be looking more like Jesus. You're going to be maturing, and you're going to be helping others do the same. And look at how he proclaims the start, verse 28. We proclaim him, comma, warning and teaching everyone. And since this is here, I need to say this. Sometimes as your pastor, I feel like I don't warn you enough. Specifically, I don't think I warn you enough against the God of comfort. But it is a powerful God in our Western society. The American dream is the American pursuit of a secure, comfortable life. And I've just noticed how powerful that pull, that dream is here in the Charlotte area, is even on me, definitely on me. We love money because we love what it can buy, and what it buys is a false sense of security. It will never buy you real security, just a false sense of one. And part of my job is proclaiming the gospel, in proclaiming the gospel is to warn you, to warn you against the comforts of this world becoming the thing that you actually worship and that you actually build your life around. And part of you growing in maturity in Christ is receiving the warning. Listen to me. Joy in Jesus comes through sacrifice, not through comfort. And there's a brand of Christianity out there that will never warn you. It'll never warn you about the God of comfort and never warn you about you. We'll never say the word sin so that you always leave feeling really good about you. And that's empty. It's not in touch with reality. So receive the warning today, a warning against comfort being what your life is built around and choose the path of Jesus, the path of sacrifice. And in that sacrifice so that others can know Christ, you will find joy, deep lasting joy. Verse 29. Paul says, man, I labor for this. Striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. You can hear some repetition in Paul in this section. He keeps going back to this struggle, this sacrifice, this striving. And that's a good thing for us to hear that repetition. It's what's in his heart. It's like, this is what I'm doing, and I do it because I love you. And this is just one of the ways God works. Look, for Paul, and I think this is true for us, as you strive, as you labor for others to grow in Christ, as you pour yourself out for others, as you sacrifice for others, God actually strengthens your own faith. And it's something I think a lot of us are missing. If you want to experience the strength of God powerfully working in you, put yourself in a position where you need the strength of God. 
And that place, one of the primary places that is, is helping someone else grow as a follower of Jesus. It's sacrificing yourself to help someone else. I'm telling you, man, you want to experience like a surge of spiritual strength. Go share the gospel with somebody. Nothing will strengthen you. Like you got to trust the Lord and then go share the good news. And I promise you, man, the day that you stand down front beside the baptism tank, while that person professes faith in Jesus through baptism, you will be so filled with what Paul is talking about here. You will literally, it'll bust out of your eyes in tears and you'll cry. You you ever, you go to a wedding and you hear people say, hey, when the bride comes down the aisle, make sure to glance at the groom because the groom is like a blubbery mess, you know, because his girl is coming, his bride is coming down the aisle and he's welled up with emotion and everything else. And it's this beautiful moment. That's how I feel about the friend or family member standing beside the baptism tank when someone's getting baptized. Because they have seen God move. And God in his grace, let them be a part of that story. Y'all, we got a need for marriage mentors, community group leaders, middle and high school mentors. That's just the church programming. Not to mention the people in your life who just need somebody striving in God's strength to bring the gospel to them. And Paul keeps talking about this as he moves into talking about the church. I told you, we talk about the sacrificial life and then about the church, the context. Look, he moves into chapter two. He says, I want you to know, again, he keeps talking about it, how greatly I'm struggling for you. For those in Laodicea, that's that town about nine miles south, the church there. And for all those who've not seen me in person, he says, I want their hearts to be encouraged. He's struggling for this church. He's suffering And he says, man, I I want you to be encouraged. And here's, that's kind of just say that's what I want for you guys. I want your hearts encouraged by the gospel. Always. By what God has done for you and by what he is doing among you. It's awesome. It's remarkable that we get, we can't take it for granted, neither what he has done or what he is doing. You ask our worship team, Um, Every time we get together to talk about kind of the tone we want to set as a church, I'm like, man, I want it to be celebratory. I want that to be our default because we have the most encouraging news in human history. And I want to celebrate it. And the Psalms are filled with that celebration. Again, this is the problem with the frowning faithful is that we should be encouraged and lifted up when we gather. The world is a hard, dark, sin-riddled place. But the people of God, we have the hope that shines in the darkness. A hope so powerful that our present struggles, this is Romans 8, our present struggles aren't worthy to be compared to the hope that is within us. This is, you know what? Look, I'm gonna read it. It can't be far from, we're in Colossians, Romans 8. I don't have this on the screen, okay? I'm just gonna read it. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Like when he's talking about, he wants your hearts encouraged. Let this encourage your hearts, church. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also grant us all things? That means you can be encouraged with the suffering that you're going through right now. Because he's not, he spared his, didn't spare his son, certainly he will give us all things. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? No one. God is the one who justifies. And then he keeps going. I can read this whole thing, but he goes to verse 37. In all these things, all these trials and tribulations... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
So take encouragement, the thing that seems overwhelming to you right now. No, no, no. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. I'm persuaded, let this encourage you and lift you up, that neither death nor life, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is real security. That is real hope. Let that encourage your heart. You know, let me say, that I hope that that becomes a tone with which we arrive every Sunday. I think you need to be here every Sunday, not because I need you, not because God needs you, but because you need to be encouraged. And, and I want you to, when you get here, I'm a little off course, but when you get here, I want you to treat this like a worship workout, okay? Like hydrate beforehand. Don't dress to impress, dress to worship. And I know some of y'all from a high church background are really concerned right now that I'm being irreverent, but here's the deal. King David danced in his priestly underoos before the Lord, okay? <laughs> Joyfully singing and praising. Now, do not arrive only in your underwear. We will have other problems, but come to worship with God's people expectantly that your hearts are going to be encouraged and worship freely. I know it looks different from everybody. We got people, members of our church, that are from New England and from Jamaica and from California and from Ohio and from South Asia and everybody worships differently and we're not trying to create uniformity, we're trying to create unity. So be free in your worship, but celebrate, man. Come expecting your heart to be encouraged and celebrate. The only thing I know is no culture celebrates with the following expression. This is universally not celebration, okay? Because not only... Do you need to be encouraged by what God has done? But you are actually going to be the agent of encouragement in somebody else's life right near you when you gather with the saints. Somebody else has been having trouble believing that God is still real, that he does still love them. Grief has overwhelmed them. Pain has overwhelmed them. But man, you singing and celebrating in the hope of the gospel, that encouraged. How do you, how do you think Paul is thinking this is going to happen? It's through the preaching of the word and the gathering of the saints. He also says, I keep going. He wants them to be joined together in love so they may have all the riches of complete understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Listen, he's saying somehow we are joined together in the love of Jesus. This is why membership in the church matters because you're committing yourself to brothers and sisters in good times and bad. You are made to know the love of Jesus in the context of community. He's going to say it again in chapter 3. Put on love, which binds everything together in unity. The community of the church is where you learn and experience the love of Jesus. What we're doing on the weekend, I hope it serves you well. I love it. I work my tail off, so does everybody else. We work our tails off to encourage you with God's word each week, and I hope it serves you, but it's just half of what the church is supposed to be about. And if you base your whole relationship with God on sitting and consuming sermons, you'll actually stunt your spiritual growth. You are made for and called for a life of joyful sacrifice carried out in the context of believers where they can see Jesus through you and you through them. I'll give you an example from my life. 2018, my father-in-law passed away real suddenly. If you were around the church, you may remember it. It was awful. Courtney and I were in a community group here at Mercy Church. And I mean, this isn't everybody's names that are 
came to me this morning. They're Bannocks, Greers, Newtons, Ransons, Borders, Wiggins, Hopkins. While we were away uh, with Courtney's family, they came over to our house. They cleaned our house. They stocked our house. And then they put scripture on sticky notes all over our house. Y'all, our home was literally covered in the word of God. I could listen to a hundred sermons and I doubt they would strengthen my faith like that moment when we walked into our house. Strengthened by the way those brothers and sisters cared for us when we were hurting. And the evidence of that is five and a half years later, here I am still remembering it very vividly. They, what did they do? They sacrificed their time. They sacrificed their money. But in doing so, my family was encouraged when we were in an absolute pit. And, you know, I know I'm a pastor, so to always just be trusting God. But man, there's just moments that we all have where we're like, why, God? How long, oh Lord? What are you doing, God? And there I am, worried about my own faith, the fact that I would think those kinds of things. And I come home and I'm, I'm encouraged. My heart is lifted up as I'm joined together by all these people believing God on my behalf and sharing it with me. And we experienced in that moment what Paul's talking about here, the riches and treasures of knowing Christ. Because the people of God sacrificed themselves when we needed it most. And it changed our lives. I'm just telling you, what any one of them would say is Jesus is worth it. My question to you is, is your life marked by sacrificial joy? And what next step is he calling you to take in light of that joy? Let me pray for you. I'll lead you in a time of prayer. If you bow your head, get into a, a posture of prayer there at your seat. I want to give you a chance to respond before I voice a prayer over you. Our worship teams are going to come. They're going to get in place at all three of our campuses. And after I close our time of prayer, our teams will lead us. But I want to give you a chance just to respond to the Lord. If you are a Christian, the question is, you might even need to have your hands open like in a posture of, Lord, here's my whole life, everything I have. What are you calling me? What next step are you calling me to take? Maybe it's sacrifice in terms of time. Maybe it's in terms of social comfort, that neighbor across the hall or across the street that you're going to have to sacrifice to build that friendship with so that they might know Christ. Or maybe it's your money. Or maybe it's something like sacrificing a sense of righteousness by going and forgiving someone that you don't want to forgive. I don't know. But what sacrifice is he calling, so that, calling you to take so that others might know the love of Jesus? And will you find joy in following in the footsteps of Jesus and doing that? Do you give whatever that is to him? Ask him to search your heart there. And while you're doing that, I want to speak to those of you that are not Christians that are here with us. We're so glad you're here, always. I want this to be a church where you can figure out, understand, and get to know the great hope that we want your heart to be encouraged with, the hope of the gospel. And maybe... God's brought you here today because it's time for you to surrender your life to him. And that's the step you need to take is to receive with your hands open, receive salvation that God offers you. And that's as simple as saying, God, I do believe that I'm a sinner. I do. I believe that Jesus is the one who went up to the cross in my place. I believe that he 
died the death I was supposed to die. I believe he rose again. And I receive salvation. I receive the new life that he offers me. And just tell him, thank you, God, for saving me. God, thank you for... Thank you for the church. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you that as we sacrifice, because you're worthy of it, we find joy in our sacrifice. What a gift that is. Would we not take that for granted? Help us, Father, to keep our first love first, remembering who you are, what you've done for us, and anything that we sacrifice Father, will we do so from a place of joyful worship at what you've done? We love you. We praise you. In Christ's holy name, amen. Amen.